A 16-year-old kid should never, ever, ever be in that situation. And that's the first outrage. Absolutely an outrage. That's a judge speaking about the tragic case of a 16-year-old who lost his freedom, lost his childhood, then his sanity, and finally his life for want of $3,000 bail. The Dickensian story of Khalif Browder here in New York City has put the whole bail system under scrutiny. Nationwide, our look this week at the bail system is a series we're calling Presumption of Innocence for Sale. The chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals, Jonathan Lippman, says he's tired of the casino-like atmosphere in the bail system and has made reform a personal mission. To me, it's totally backwards and uh, makes no sense. And on the one hand, uh, has uh, judges are not able to consider public safety as a factor in considering bail, and that's a total fiction and ridiculous. And on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, we have people who are incarcerated because they can't make $500 in bail when they're not a threat to society and not really a threat to anybody, not a threat to flee the jurisdiction. So to me, why is it arbitrary? It's arbitrary because we don't change something that doesn't work. New York City has begun an $18 million initiative to end bail for low-level or nonviolent crimes, which could affect up to 3,000 people who otherwise would be stuck in jail. That's an important step, but in other places in the U.S., judges have found the only effective bail reform is radical reform. It's the story in the District of Columbia, where money bail was completely eliminated in the 1990s and replaced by a system that imposes strong incentives for defendants to show up in court and tough incentives for prosecutors to speed up their cases. Cliff Keenan is the director of D.C.'s Pretrial Services Agency. So we've been doing this since 1967 in terms of trying to move away from money, but I think it really took hold in 1992 when this city was seeing a tremendous increase in violent crime. Our laws, our bail laws, were not well addressing the need to keep dangerous, violent people off the street. And ever since 1992, we have not used money in Washington, D.C. as a means of bail release. And what lessons do you learn from that? I mean, what, how, how do people hold to agreements and uh, commitments under your system? Well, it really is a culture change because it didn't happen easily. It didn't happen you know, immediately. And that culture change, I think, is a reflection of the responsibility that judges and prosecutors in particular have to take very seriously. Our system is premised on the presumption of innocence that every arrested person is entitled to. Only people who are a danger, a danger to the community or a danger of not fulfilling their obligation to come back to court. It's a very individualized determination. At any given time, how many people are awaiting trial in D.C. who are home and free and what percentage of them actually show up on their court date? We currently have about 5,000 persons who are out on the street awaiting their trial in court in some pretrial form or other. The vast majority of them are persons that we're supervising here in pretrial, but about a quarter of them are out on straight personal recognizance, so no conditions whatsoever. Uh, We keep manually our statistics, and for the last several years, the return rate to court for our population is hovering 90%. So out of all of the persons released, 89 are coming back to court, and significantly, about 89% are remaining arrest-free. So that means that people who are released, because I know there's always a concern about a person being released is going to go out and commit more serious crimes, we're not seeing it. In fact, less than 1% of our population, which is rearrested, is being rearrested on a violent crime. Uh, the people who are designated under preventive detention, where do they go? 
Well, let me explain it in a little more detail, if I could. If a person is charged with a particular offense, such as a robbery or you know a shooting or something very serious, there's a particular statute that gives the government the ability to ask the judge to hold that person as soon as the person is brought in front of the judge. If the judge finds by clear and convincing evidence that the person is, in fact, a danger to the community or a flight risk, then that person is going to be held until their trial. Now, that triggers a speedy trial portion of the statute, which means that the person who has been held without bond under preventive detention must have their trial within 100 days. So there's no free lunch for a prosecutor. Basically, the judge says, all right, if you're going to hold this person, you've got to have your act together in court in 100 days. Uh, and there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Right. Correct. That is correct. So that's that's a I, powerful set of incentives. No, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I know that people say, well, Washington, D.C. is different. You know, you're quasi federal. You also have all the resources. But everything that we do is predicated upon a strong statutory framework, which basically puts upon the judge the responsibility to make these decisions about release or detention on an individualized basis. Is there a case under your system of anyone who's fallen through the cracks? I mean, this is a great system. It sounds fantastic the way you describe it. But what's the longest fall through the cracks kind of scenario in your system and what can be done about it? I know years ago when our Department of Corrections was, uh, again, both understaffed and overpopulated, uh, persons who should have been released, you know, might stay incarcerated for an additional period of time, like a month or whatever the case may be. But those were truly rare exceptions. But I also have to say ours is not a system which is perfect because many people say, well, what happens if a person is released, goes out and does some egregious, heinous crime? And things like that do happen not only in Washington, D.C., but, you know, around the country. In fact, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the case of Maurice Clemens. He was out on bail on some very serious offenses up in Washington state. He walked into a donut shop and shot and killed four sheriff deputies back in 2009, even though he had posted bail through a commercial bondsman. So, again, there is no guarantee if a person is not going to do, you know, what's expected of them. But I think that, you know, ours is much better. And I think it's also something that other jurisdictions can do if they have the resolve to do it. Well, as you've said, I mean, you work very hard in D.C. on this uh, pretrial services program. What do you think is the biggest impediment to uh, making what you do in D.C. more of a national standard? I think it's fear. I, I do think that judges, to a certain extent, abdicate their responsibility to look at each individual defendant fairly um, from a, a standpoint of you know the presumption of innocence. Because I think to a large extent, you know, judges are concerned that if they release a person into the community and the person does something wrong, they're going to be held accountable when actually, you know, where they should be held accountable is by making the right decision up front. And the same is true for the prosecutors. I have been a prosecutor, John. Um, 20 years of my career down here in D.C. has been as a prosecutor. And it's very easy for a prosecutor, you know, maybe inclined to say, you know what, I'm here to protect the community. I want this guy to stay locked up until, you know, the, the trial comes. But by detaining a person without the fair due process protections, once again, I, I think we're doing an injustice to those persons. Cliff Keenan is the director of the Pretrial Services Agency for the District of Columbia. Cliff, thanks so much. John, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, our team has been reporting high-quality news about science, technology, and medicine. News you won't get anywhere else. 
And now that political news is 24-7, our audience is turning to us to know about the really important stuff in their lives. Cancer, climate change, genetic engineering, childhood diseases. Our sponsors know the value of science and health news. For more sponsorship information, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org. 